Hey, uh, we, we are in Ephesians. We're kind of wrapping it up. We're going to be in chapter 6. Uh, we have talked about once you become a Christian, once you accept Jesus as Lord, and, I, and it is He's Lord. It, it isn't, hey, I'm just adding Jesus to my life. He becomes the Lord of your life. And now you take your marching orders from a different person other than yourself because you're now in the kingdom of light. And Paul in, in chapter 5 talks about, or chapter 4 actually, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And then we've actually started this little sub-series, walk in harmony, by submitting to one another. Now last week it was all about the husband-wife relationship. How many of you got nudged last week a few times? Okay, yes. You weren't seen by your wife. Okay. Wow. Verse 21 of chapter 5 says that we're to walk in harmony with one another. And here's what it says by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's, it's not based on, well, I got a good wife, I got a bad wife, I got a good husband. I got... No, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's very, very important. So we're supposed to submit to one another, but it does look different depending on the relationship, right? Last week we found out in order for wives to submit to their husbands, you are to what? Respect them. Respect them. And husbands, in order to submit to your wife, what are you supposed to do? Love them. Not with worldly love, but with the love that is displayed by Jesus. That's the qualifier. Man, we are to love our wives. That means we are to be sacrificial. We are to be, oh man, all-consuming about this agape type of love towards our wife. And then, guess what? It's really easy for the wife to respect the husband, right? And then when you're getting respect, it's really easy to love. And it's this really wonderful, positive cycle that, that Jesus put in, in place. Now, it says children are to submit to their parents. What does that look like? And here's a kicker. How do parents submit to their children? Isn't that a weird concept? Uh, a, 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 a parent is supposed to submit to their child? Or how about this? Employees are supposed to submit to their employers. And employers are supposed to submit to the employee. You're like... Wait, this is counterintuitive. This isn't like the world's definition of submit because our definition is too worldly when it comes to submit. When we think of submit, we think of authority. You must do what I tell you. That's the world's definition of submit. But God's definition of submit means you are to hupotasso, place everybody above you. In other words, you are others-oriented. You defer to others. Doesn't mean under my thumb. If anything, a better word would be loyalty. You're loyal. You're loyal. Because there's no perfect English word to translate the full meaning of this, of this word, hupatasso, to, to submit. And you're going to get tripped up if you think submit means to obey. Totally different word. Submit can mean to obey because you come under the authority. 
but the fuller meaning of hupatasso is to lose or surrender one's will to the other people around you. It literally means to place everybody above yourself. So submission is, is more about attitude than a line of authority. Let me repeat that. It's more of an attitude than a line of authority. That's why we are told we're to submit to one another. Husbands, yes. CEOs, yes. Parents, yes. Employers, yes. Those are all the people with power, right? We're supposed to, in those positions, submit to the people. So, Paul goes on to explain what submission looks like in these three key relationships, husband and wife. But today, it's about children. And you're all like, yay! You want your children to hear, you need to submit. What does that mean? And then the children are going, wait, my parents have to submit to me. Yeah! What, is that? what does God mean? Well, he's going to explain it. So you got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read just first the very first four verses. Okay. Children, your submission looks like this. You are to obey. Oh, now that's a different word than submit. You are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you will live long in the land. Okay? Fathers, and by the way, the word fathers in, in the scripture can mean moms and dads, parents. But let, let, me, let me tell you about the power of a father 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. If a child was born and he didn't like the child, he could just order it to be thrown out onto the trash heap. If it's a girl, especially, he'd say just throw it out. There are too many documents and letters about the callousness and the full authoritarian power that the man had in the family. And so this is so counterintuitive for, for the hearers of, of Paul when he writes this letter. And they're like, what? Parents are supposed to submit? The father is supposed to submit to the child? But let's, let's define it. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, we can answer the question very easily now. How do children submit to their parents? And the children said, Obey. You are to obey. Right? Pretty simple. And parents, how are you to submit to your child? Parents, love. didn't say love. <laughs> Don't provoke them to anger, but train them. That's how you submit to your child. You train them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, how submission is expressed is what type of relationship are we talking about? So the mission of submission is always placing others above yourself and to be others oriented. And you can see agape love in that when you, when you just become totally obsessed with other people in a positive way. You worry about the people coming behind you. 
you think about the people in front of you, you think of the people on the side of you, especially in a car. Are, are you with me on that? Agape love should show up in a car, and that means you're others-oriented. Now, Paul's going to outline this three-part plan for submission in this parent-child relationship. So here's part one, fill in the blank. Obedience must happen, and here's the fill in the blank, in the hands. What does submission look for a child? Like a, for a child, obedience to parents. And by the way, children, it, it isn't just young children. It's all offspring still under the parents' roof. If, you're under, if they're under your roof, then they have to come under your authority. It has to come under that submission. It has to come under all of that. And if you saw last week, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When you take that hand and put it in the man's hand, now they're their own entity. And the the relationship's going to look a little differently, but they're their own unit. Are you with me on that? Once men, men and women are married, they're no longer under hupo, hupo tasso, that that. Uh, authority, that umbrella, that protection that we talked about last week. But we know in Scripture that parents have the unique God-given responsibility and authority to train the heart of their child. That We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, let, let's turn to De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's, it's worth going there. He says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall... This is Moses talking about the law, about morality, about right and wrong, about God, about how to live, how to think, how to prosper, how to be blessed. I mean, this is all encompassing. And he says this, Teach, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. 24-7, you are to be training your child. Whatever activity you're doing, you are to be training your child. And he says, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You're going to put God's word all around you. But with with that responsibility comes a God-given authority. So at least you have the authority to be the parent, right? Parents, parent. Can I say that again? Please, if you're a parent, parent. School's not going to do it. The government's not going to do it. Although they, they'll try. The preschool's not going to do it. The teacher isn't going to do it. The, the, the society isn't going to do it. MTV isn't going to. Oh yeah, L- let me back all of that up. They're going to train them, but not in God's way. You are their self-control until self-control is established in them. Are you with me on this? And so you are to, to raise your child. You are to parent your child. And when children obey their parents, they are actually obeying Jesus. Because obedience has to do with action. And that's why we say in the hands. In the hands. Now, some of you might be tempted to tune out right now because you're like, oh, my kids are grown. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that. Hang with me for a little while, okay? 
because anytime you hear God's word and instruction, you're going to then be able to apply it to your relationship as a child to God. So it is applicable to you. First of all, let's talk about this obedience thing. I, I want you to realize that partial obedience is full-blown disobedience. Partial obedience is still 100% disobedience because it's a control and a submission issue. It's passive rebelliousness. Let's say you have a child and the child pours their own milk and they drink it, they pour it, I don't know, a pretty good size. Uh, but you have told them if you pour that much milk, you have to drink it. Did any of you have that rule in your house? If you pour out so many chips, you need to eat the chips. If you pour, you have to be responsible for your actions. And so the mother says, drink your milk. And the child drinks everything but this much. Now, what do you do as a parent? Do you say, oh, that's good enough. What have you just trained your child? Partial obedience is acceptable. You tell them to clean their room. They clean 90% of it, but they leave 10% because they don't want to clean their room, and that's their way of being passive rebellion, rebellious. And you walk in, and you see that 90% of the room is clean, and you say, oh, that's good enough. What have you just trained your child? Partial obedience is okay. Now let me turn it to you. Does God look at you and, and, and say, hey, I don't want you to look at pornography. And you, and you say, well, I'm only looking at 10%. Is that okay, God? What is he going to say? No. That's exactly right. No. Partial disobedience uh, is still disobedience. And we have to train our children to first-time obedience. If you ask them to come, I can get my dog to come. How come I can't get my child to come? Isn't my child so much more valuable to train the heart of for first-time obedience? So we, we have to go to that standard because God doesn't get, okay, Bob, I want you to not cheat on your taxes. Well, you didn't, you, you cheated three years ago, you cheated last year, but I, I'm going to just keep letting you. No, God says stop, and what are we supposed to do? Stop. First-time obedience is very protective of us as well. How about making obedience attractive by being consistent? If you speak to your child in a way that requires an action or an answer, you should expect an answer. How many have had children blow you off? How does that, how does that sit with you? Not good, huh? So if you're going to issue a command or an action, then you have to not be passive and, and, and to deal with it. And be clear. Never give a command unless you intend it to be obeyed. Give clear instructions. Um, if you teach a child to not to obey your instructions, what have you trained your child to do? To be in sin. God's going to say, you're training your child to be in sin? That's not acceptable. You aren't to, to allow them to, to uh, be trained, to be reinforced. So be clear. Uh, do not state your instructions in the form of a question. Honey, would you like to go brush your teeth now? No. 
Child's in control. Because you didn't say, go brush your teeth. Would you like to take a nap now? No. Now you've got conflict, right? Does God ask you if, okay, do you want to not murder today somebody with your words? Do you? You don't ask, you issue the command, correct? Provide a five-minute warning to emotionally prepare them for the instruction. If they're engaged in something, give them a five-minute warning. Make it obedience attractive. And don't use a timeout wrong. Do you know where the... Can somebody tell me where the first timeout in Scripture is? Anyone? Genesis. Genesis, good answer. Cain is about to kill his brother. Do you remember what happens? God comes down and says, Time out! Cain, you're about to do something. You're about to sin. It's not punishment because he sinned. You're about to sin. That's what we do in sports. When we see that our quarterback or somebody's getting out of control, you say, Time out! Regroup! Okay, Cain, you're about to sin. Don't sin. Get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of your emotions. Get a hold of, of your actions. Get a hold of your thought process. Take a child that's getting roughhousing outside. Take them out of the game and say, you need to cool off. Five minutes, you can go back in. That's a timeout. Then there's social isolation. But only that works if you're social. Because if you like social isolation, then your punishment becomes a reward. Goody, I get to go to my room. I don't have to deal with the family. I get to go to my room. Isolation then becomes actually a reward. So you, you just have to, you have to think about, okay, how do I get my child to obey? Because that's how they submit. When a child continually sins, he's in sin. But when a parent allows his child to sin, who's now in sin? The parent. So obedience has to do with action. And action is very measurable, isn't it? Did you take out the trash? Well, you can know whether they took out the trash. Did you brush your teeth? Let me smell your breath. I don't know if you've ever had to do that before. So, so, so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Obey. That's how you, you're going to submit. They're going to obey. But look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So here's the second part of his God's great plan. Honoring must happen in the heart. Because you can have a child that's obedient, but inside they are mad. They're angry. And if they had the verbal skill, they may actually be yelling at you, right? And so, if obedience has to do with action, honoring has to do with the attitude of the heart. To honor means to, to value highly, to hold in, in respect, and, and to be actually in, in high regard or in awe of. And so God makes this promise to children. It refers to quality of life and quantity of life. Though the blessing may not always be tangible, if you are an obedient child and you are raised to be obedient because that's what your father or mother did, God is going to bless you. 
in ways that are not tangible, but you are going to receive blessing because you honored your parents. And this is why, do, do you realize that this is one of the Ten Commandments? Honor your father and mother. Do you know which commandment number it is? Let me give you a hint. The first five commandments that God gives the nation of Israel are all vertical in nature. The last five are all horizontal in nature. How we treat God is the first five. The last five is how we treat one another. This one is included on in how we treat God because the way you are treated by your child is the way they would treat God. He has placed you in that position of authority. And so when your child is rebelling against you, they're rebelling against God. And so this, this whole promise that, man, if we honor our parents, if we respect them and obey them, great things are going to happen. Uh, there are so many proverbs about children and, and obedience and parents. A child that dishonors their, their parents um, is, is a travesty. Um, my fav not my favorite, but there, there's a verse in scripture that says, "The eye that mocks the father and scorns the mother, the ravens of the eye will, the ravens of the sky will come and pluck the eye out of your child." Uh, is that pretty graphic? Yes. The eye that mocks the father. So we're talking about the heart. He's doing, or she's doing, they're being obedient, but inside they're mocking you, they're disrespecting you, they're rolling their eyes at you, they're, they're doing anything to sabotage you because they want to be in control. Scripture says, the ravens of the field will come and pluck their eye out. Now, that's hyperbole. God doesn't really want your child's eye to be plucked out, but he says bad things are going to happen to a child that mocks a father and scorns a mother, that totally disregards their instruction. Submission by a child is expressed by honoring the parent. Okay, now we've talked about how children submit. Let's, let's talk about us parents, okay? Here, here's the next, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the discipline. That's the training and the instruction of the Lord. Here's the third the fill in the blank. Integrity must happen in the home. How do parents submit to children? By loving them enough to train their hearts in the way of the Lord. Let me remind you, you're their self-control until self-control is established. You're their parent first, not their buddy. There'll be plenty of times to be their best friends after you've trained their heart. And Paul gives first a negative command. Fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. No double standard in the house. Children don't live by one standard and the parents get to live by another standard. Honey, if work calls, tell them I'm not home. Oh, it's okay that the parents lie, but the child can't lie, right? Or the, the husband has to, or the, the, the parents serve, and yet they don't make their children serve. I am still amazed at how many children have no, absolutely no responsibility at home. None whatsoever. 
double standard. Because the parents are serving, but the children are. You find appropriate ways for children to serve. Are you with me on that? Why? Because God is expecting us to serve, right? He serves us, we serve Him. We don't say, you know what, God, you've got it. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. No, we are to, to have no double standard in the house. Kindness. If you're kind, then your children need to be kind. Language. Your tone. You, you can't be critical and, and barky and this disrespecting tone that's your standard and then you expect your child to be always positive and uplifting and never have a snarky attitude. Wait, wait, that exasperates a child because the child comes into this world and they're trying to figure out how this thing works and they're like, wait, mom and dad act this way but when I act exactly like them, I get in trouble. That is exasperating. That is frustrating as all get out to have two standards of law in the house. Amen. Yes, amen. Oh, it's, it's appropriate for you to watch Game of Thrones or something that really is debasing and, and is not good. And I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've only heard or cooking meth. What's that one? Breaking Bad and all that stuff. And then you tell your child, oh, you can't, you can't play Fortnite. And the child's like, you're watching that junk. How come? It's the same stuff, right? No double standard. That exasperates a child. It must be in your heart first in order to pass it on to your children. And the level of your integrity is going to be the standard in the house. And that's why there's no stubble, double standard. You, you train to God's standard and everybody lives by it. I, I love Proverbs 4. We don't have time to go there, but it basically says, My father taught me and now I'm teaching my son. That's the way it's supposed to happen. You are teaching and passing on. Now, I have seven little blanks on your outline. I want to tell you how to really make your child mad. Okay? You can write them down and say, this is how I make my child mad. This is how I provoke them to anger. This is how I exasperate them so that their behavior goes off the rail. First of all, be a threatening, repeating parent. The parents hope for obedience is stronger than their will to actually make it happen. They hope it happens by yelling at them and threatening them and coaxing the child, threatening the child, bargaining with the child, and then pretendish to punish the child. I love that when parents pretend to punish. Johnny, you just hit your sister with a wiffle ball bat. You come over here. There. Really? That, that's it? It's only going to make matters worse if you pretend to punish the child. Can I tell you, children are natural born gamblers. They have this thing called a sinful nature and they will tiptoe across the line of disobedience every day if they figure out there's weakness in the camp. Like, oh, these guys, they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to tippy-toe across. Oh, I'm going to play mom. No, I'm going to play dad. I'm going to because there's no unity in, in the home. And they are natural born gamblers. And so 
you can't be a threatening repeating parent because the kids will understand first off oh today's a threat now you can go threat 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 and three weeks later boom the law comes down what does that teach a child i got away with it for three weeks right want to frustrate your child have your parenting tied to your mood I'm tired today, so I'm going to let the children burn the house down. I don't care. I'm just too tired. I'm not going to deal with it. I am just too, I am, I am just too tired. And then other days, you wake up, you're in a great mood, everything's fine, the child does something very simple, and you explode. Wait, that's a threatening, repeating parent. Now, second thing that you could do is be a bribing parent. Oh, be a bribing parent. Appeal to the child's flesh. Bribe them. If you're good, I'm going to buy you this. Threat. If you're not good, I'm not going to buy you this. Or the proverbial scare task tactic. If you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. Uh, parents do say that, by the way. I won't love you anymore. I mean, what, what parent does that? But parents do do that because they're parenting according to their flesh, not according to submission. Number three is this. Negotiate and conflict. Negotiate and conflict. Try to reason with your child instead of just making them obey. Reason with them. I love it. Do you know the cognitive brain of a people does not reach full maturity until age what? 25. Did you know that? Daisy, you're, you're still cognitively growing. Now, Daisy, since I've mentioned you by name, if you were to play a five-year-old in checkers, who's gonna win? You're gonna win, why? Your reasoning is so much better, right? Take that same understanding of concept of reasoning with a child, and then you're gonna reason them to obedience at age five. They can't understand it. They don't grasp it. It's clear in your mind how to win in checkers and how why this makes sense, why you should brush your teeth. You know about cavities. You understand about dental hygiene. The child doesn't. And they're going to do whatever they want. That's why you don't reason with them trying to coax them into obedience. Could you imagine God coming down off of his throne and sitting next to you and trying to convince you that you should not be in adultery? Or you should not use your words inappropriately? Or you should not be uh, taking money from the neighborhood by going through the recycling bin and taking all the good stuff and going down and turning it into money? I don't know if people do that, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because I've seen people do that. But. And, and so, wait a second. Don't negotiate in conflict. And don't accept partial obedience as full obedience. Number four is this, failing to communicate the moral reason why. Don't train them to a particular situation. Train them as to the reason why we don't pick the flowers in the, in the park. Oh, the people behind us need to see them. Oh, why do we return our shopping carts? You knew I was gonna bring shopping carts into this. Why do we bring shopping carts back to the corral? because we're thinking of other people. If you don't teach the moral reason why you do the way you do, why do you pray before a meal? 
If you never teach a child why to pray before a meal, when they go off to college, they're not going to be praying before a meal because they're out of the context. Oh, that's what dad did. Oh, that's what mom did. You teach the moral reason why. Just telling a child to do it isn't enough because the scripture said, you submit by bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Training means instruction. You know why we don't make fun of people? Oh, you just told me not to. Well, tell them the moral reason why. Number five, we got to move on. Not having clear boundaries. Not having clear boundaries. It's a moving target, a moving boundary. A kid will get so discouraged and he'll just give up. Today, this is the right behavior. Tomorrow, it was the wrong behavior. Uh, three weeks from now, we're back to the other boundary. And you have to have clear boundaries. Clear boundaries. And some of you may be permissive parents, and some of you may be uh, authoritarian parents, and some of you might have a mixture, and you're going to really confuse your child. Uh, but they're so smart, they know who they can play off of. Number six is this. Freedom and responsibility. It, you, you got the wrong ratio of freedom to responsibility. If you give a child lots of responsibility, but no freedom, they'll feel like a slave. They will feel just like a slave. You know, oh, I got to clean my room. I got to do this. I got to do that, do that. But no, I have no actual freedom that's appropriate to my age or the other way oh you're nine you need an apple phone right and you need to wear makeup and who are you dating at school honey it's like whoa those are freedoms that are not even that's not even appropriate for a 16 year old let a nine year old right and so you have to judge how much freedom and responsibility. And sometimes you've got to pull that freedom down to match responsibility. And when a, would you give a child a, a power tool? No, you wouldn't give a child a power tool. That is so much power. And yet parents all the time are giving their, their children power tools. And then they wonder why their children get all messed up. Like, well, you gave them power tools when they have the responsibility to handle that kind of power that's appropriate number seven is this misuse of compassion overemphasizing attributes of God at the expense of others excusing sin especially between siblings you know there's a guy in the Bible oh he, he was uh, his name was Eli he had two really bad bad sons and God punished Eli, didn't he? Because he let his sons go wild. He just let them go wild. And Eli's like, well, I'm just giving him grace. Now, he didn't say that, but I could imagine. I'm just being graceful. I'm just giving grace. I give grace. I give grace. No, you're just afraid of confrontation. And you're not willing to train the child. And so don't use grace as this catch-all to excuse rebellious behavior. The most loving thing that you could do for your child that's in rebellion is to correct them, to reproof them, to train them in the way of righteousness, just like the Word of God was given to us for those very reasons. Here's a positive. 
A child can have no greater inheritance than the godly teaching that you pass on to them. That's their, you know, that's the greatest inheritance that you could give a child. Godly training. Godly training is the great, not money, not houses, not boats, not cars. It's godly training. Even when parents are tired, parents still train. Because discipline refers to the systematic training of, of children. Do you feel like I'm just running you over today? Last one. Because there's so much more. There, there, there's reams of information about training in God's way versus training like the world. The last one that I want to say is overpunishing and underpunishing. What a travesty. What a travesty to overpunish a child. You, t you talk about their little spirit being crushed? You know, oh, you, you, you accidentally, you know, left your bike out and it got stolen. We are taking away all of your teenage years, right? Like, whoa, that's a little over punishment. And make the, the discipline fit the offense. It's like this, if a child refuses to drink the milk that they, they, they poured for themselves, what would be the appropriate punishment? I'll tell you what the inappropriate punishment would be. Maybe a spanking? That might be inappropriate, unless they are consensually doing it. But to say, you know what, you're not going to get milk for four months. A little harsh, isn't that? What is that going to do to the child? Makes them angry. Makes them angry, that's right. Provokes them to me. But if you say to the child, you've lost the privilege of pouring your own milk. Because you can't handle the freedom. Oh, you could do that with teenage girls dressing going off to school. Whoa, whoa, you, you are not dressed appropriately. Now mom's going to choose your wardrobe, right? You, you pull in those boundaries or the, what they're watching on TV. Watch out for underpunishing too because you are fitting the value to the crime. Like I said, if, 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 if your daughter takes a wiffle bat to your other daughter, and all she gets is a 10-minute timeout, what is 10 minutes worth of time equal to? Taking a bat to my sister. You think it's going to happen again? If that's all that happened? You absolutely. If, if we allowed criminals like they do in the state of California to steal up to $965 and not be processed, what do you think that encourages them to do? They're going to go with, into a calculate, with a calculator into a store, buy, uh, steal $965, knowing that all they're going to do is get a fine. That's it. No, no arrest. Nothing on, maybe on their record. But th they're just going to be let go. Is that encouraging them to sin? Yes. Under, under punishment encourages a child to be a cheap grace. That's cheap grace is what it is. Oh. I can do anything I want and God's going to forgive me. Really? Just anything? Even when your heart is rebellious? Even when you're like giving him the finger? Even when you're just cursing him and you think that God is obligated to go easy on you instead of having a repentant heart? What's the first thing that John the Baptist did when he preached? What did he say? Repent. 
repent. I, I could go on. We're, we need to get out of here. How does this all translate to us? <laughs> Man, I feel like I hit you with a wiffle ball bat. I am passionate about child rearing. Because I was child rearing wrong when my firstborn came. I was spoiling, I was enabling, underpunishing, overpunishing, reasoning, looking the other way, forgiving their cute innocence. I did all of that. And God had to convict me that I was raising somebody that people were not going to love, people were going to reject. The gospel message that they might carry on them would be rejected because of their behavior. Because I was failing to train and submit to my child. And boy, that, that takes a lot out of you. There, do you. As parents, do you have regrets? You have, I, if you don't have regrets now, you will have regrets. Shorten those regrets by going back to the Word. Going back to the Word. You know, we're, tummy, we're, we're now going to come into a time of communion. Like, how do you transition to that? He's your father. And if you're a child and you've been disobedient, you, you have a chance to be obedient right now. And if you're a parent that has not been submitting to their child because it's just too tiring, you have a chance to, to repent. And... Let me encourage you, never stop praying for your children, whether they're in your house or not. Continue to pray for their spiritual development. Because that's one thing that never stops. Praying for your children, that they would understand truth and be set free. Because a child that has self-control is the freest person in the world. Father, I thank you for this time of communion where we can come before you as a child and realize that you are the good, good Father. And you will not lead us into sin like we have left, led our own children into sin. So we repent of that, and we want to be cleansed of that, and we do lift up our children that we would know how to submit to them in a way, even after they've left the house. How do we minister to them? How do we serve them? And if you're a child and you're hearing these words, how can I obey better? And all of us are children before the Lord. How can I obey with a happy, a happy heart with first-time obedience? Lord, that is the path to joy. Take us there as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us through the bread and the cup, and we lift na the name of Jesus high. In your name we pray. Amen.